Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandal Mongers Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. It's very good to be back. As you know, I've been across the States uh, lecturing and doing other things. Uh, and I feel revitalized for our next new series, and particularly well, very... given a theme to it. Well, we have, actually. We've got a little bit of a royal theme. Um, since our listeners and our viewers seem to enjoy royal stories, and let's face it, so do we. We're going to do three or four, maybe even more, in this first little burst of our new season. So I've been sitting in and not traveling to America, but I've been writing my book. Surrounded by piles of research and files off camera, rather disgusting and dusty. 50,000 words in two months. Very good. We have been, we've been busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that the listeners have continued to listen to us even when we've not been on air, which is, which is encouraging. I think we do better it, when we're it, not it, on air. I think we do better when they, there's no new material. We had thousands of new listens and views and lots of new comments. Can I give you some selections? I love doing this. Oh, yes, please. So, yes, Mrs. Giddy Diddy. <laughs> I love people's names on YouTube. Mrs. Giddy Diddy says we're awesome and do an awesome job, and she'd like to hear more about Diana, especially her death. Well, we may have news for you on that front, Mrs. Giddy We're Diddy. exactly going to do that. Um, oh, we're going to talk about exactly. Diana's death um, in the next few weeks, I hope. Valerie Aykroyd has put Je- Jeffrey Posner's book on her buy list and really enjoyed that conversation we had about the Vatican. Um, I love this one actually. This was from um I say this is from Marsha Warner. Uh, I think it's probably American, because she says, Your podcast is my new favorite, informed, fun, and dishy. <laughs> I think Gosh, is she just listening? <laughs> but I think she means dishy in the American sense of the word, as in dishy right. and dirt. As in she oh. th- she thinks you're devastatingly attractive, Andrew, although maybe she feels both. Yes, no, no, I think the, the earlier explanation is much more likely. Well, that's good. I mean, we, we do like to bring new information, and I think we've got some very interesting things coming along where we will be revealing new information. And are we are we um, a very popular, in particular, um, East in, uh, Indian Ocean Islands? Well, I haven't, I've been checking the charts, and even though we've had no new content, we keep popping up 
in these slightly surprising places. I suspect that means like three or four people are listening. But we've been on the charts, the Apple charts in Argentina, Thailand, and get this, the Dominican Republic. In fact, as of today, we still are. So if you are that one person in the Dominican Republic who is listening, do let us know because we'd love we'd love to be in touch with you. Yes, yes. In fact, I think we we thought of some way we might do some zooms with some of our listeners, yes, uh, and allow them to do questions to us and 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 put a face to them, put a face to the names, um, see if they think we're dishy in real life. Yeah, um, so it's exciting to be back with um, Andrew Morton, a bit of a get. He's a very yes. successful uh, and very dishy. A royal biographer, perhaps the most dishy of all time with his book on Diana. And really sort of changed the the, the face of royal biography with his Diana book. Uh, and he's continued to be top of his game, really. Yeah. Uh, he produces the most amazing books. I'm a great admirer of his book on Wallace, which really broke new ground on a, on a pretty well-known subject. But well, we in all his books... Uh, people who don't know Andrew Morton, I'm guessing most people do, but he really came to international fame by becoming the chosen writer for Diana's own book, really, well, she dictated or recorded an awful lot of it, which kind of completely broke open the story of the troubles in the royal marriage in the early 1990s. Um, and he's gone from strength to strength. He's also going to talk about Megan. And, you know, the, most of the Megan conversations we've had, especially with Valentine Lowe, it's slightly, maybe slightly negative, tending to listen to the voices that are critical of Megan. I think he's a bit more positive about her. Yes, it'll be interesting to get, to get a sort of a counterbalance. Uh, I mean, he's based in America. He's based very close to where she lives. So uh, I think we may get a slightly different perspective. I hope so. Well, look, our producer told us to uh, share more details of our lives. So if anybody's interested, and that there is a connection to Megan here, I joined a community choir during our little holiday, uh, the one that Francis, my wife, goes to in Teddington. And we're rehearsing a wonderful um, Thomas Tallis hymn called If Ye Love Me, which is really quite a famous one if you're into choirs. So that hymn was played at Harry and Meghan's wedding, and that's the version we're trying to do. So the woman that runs the choir, Ruth, said, oh, you've got to have a look, see how it was done in at the wedding. It's absolutely beautiful, and it does remind you, actually, looking at that kind of thing, just how positive and how hopeful that day was and how people really loved her, you know, and she knocked people out she was a complete breath of fresh air it is really really sad how it all unraveled well i think the thing i find fascinating about royal biography is there are just so many different versions of real events because we often know so little about them i mean though they're clearly well covered in the press you know we get these different versions of of, of actually what was happening in the marriage with diana we're getting different perceptions of of megan uh there is uh, andrew being able to say completely new things about wallace simpson after to countless books uh, and i think that's what's really exciting and actually what we're trying to do to show that history has so many different interpretations and as long as you can back up your case um that's not a bad thing every generation reinterprets i suppose no, absolutely i think before we go to andrew a lot of people might be wondering why you haven't been dragged off in chains because before our break you know hashtag Lownigate was everywhere but it was on our podcast any more developments in your clashes with authority the spying on you and your quest to get documents? Well, I don't, no one's following around at the moment. Um, uh, they're probably listening in. Um, they're monitoring us. Uh, that may be helping us. Maybe they're monitoring us from one of their, their stations in the, in the Indian Ocean. And that's where we're getting. Republic. 
some of our people. Um, no, so far not, but I'm doing a lot of talks now. I'm doing a talk this weekend on what's called censoring history. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I'm continuing to, to rattle the, the, the cage. I mean, it's still, there's now going to be, they say, an investigation by the Met into the allegations by Virginia Giffray. Uh, for, for a long time, they refused to say whether they actually did anything or were going to do anything. It now seems Channel 4... Um, have have persuaded them to do that. So that'll be interesting. That will open up the Andrew story. Uh, and um, I think maybe there is a bit of a sea change uh, in uh, attitudes to official secrecy. There have been uh, a couple of articles recently about the problems historians have had researching in Northern Ireland. Uh, and um, I'm hopeful uh, that a, a, a big piece I've done, which is about to come out in the Royal Historical Society's journal, about this will perhaps galvanise some historians to stand up and 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 share some of their stories of frustrations. Yes. Well, so I think it's it's an issue that runs. Good. All right then. Well, from one historian called Andrew who takes on the establishment, shall we go to another well, one called Andrew that does the same? From one dishy to another. <laughs> Excellent. Here we go. Well, we're thrilled to have one of the doyens of, of raw biography with us today, and. Probably, the, I think you've probably written more royal biographers, biographies than anyone else, actually. Well, I think Ingrid Seward would give me a, a run for right. But I think I've done quite a few, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good point. I think I've written 25 books in total. My first book was, was called uh, Andrew the Playboy Prince. It was written in 1982, it took about three weeks. About It was about Prince Andrew. Uh, at a time when he was a, a Falklands hero, a war hero, uh, the uh, most eligible bachelor in the world. You may remember when he he ran down the gangway to meet the Queen and Prince Philip after the Falklands I with do. the ropes between his teeth. And it ends on a very optimistic note about how he will go on to great things. I'm yeah. using it from my well, own it, conference. In now. a sense, he did. <laughs> And you're and you're writing it now. You're doing one now. I, I'm picking up the narrative. Uh, yes, I've taken on the baton. How things change uh, over that period of time. I think somebody from the Observer who, who wrote a critique said it was the, probably the worst book ever written. So that's how. <laughs> well, I it's full of very good, useful facts and details for me. Well, we thought I mean, we we thought to, today, if it's okay with you, Andrew, we'd talk more about royal women than royal men, because yeah. you've had uh, your dealings and you've written about lots of them. Um, I guess yeah, Megan, Diana, Diana. But we thought we could maybe work backwards in time and start with Megan, since she's perhaps the royal woman or the adjacent, semi-detached royal woman. It's getting perhaps the most comment at the moment. Um, when you looked into her life, were you surprised at what you found? Or well, when I looked, at, I mean, it, it was extraordinary, really. I, I'm speaking to you from Pasadena in California, which is where my wife's from, and we live here most half the year. And it was remarkable that she was literally the hometown girl. She um, she went, I'm, I'm sitting in my study and to my left is a place called Pasadena Avenue. She went out with a, a chap there who who uh, uh, is now a realtor. Uh, she, she learned how to drink tea with uh, the Rose Tree Cafe. She was the homecoming queen in a place called La Cañada, which is just up the road. She starred in various uh, plays and musicals uh, at school. So, for me, as a as as a um, an exercise in biography, it was 
as to quote Eric Larson, low-hanging fruit. It was a question of walking out the door and somebody saying, have you spoken to so-and-so? And people phoning in with um, you know, their anecdotes about Megan. And I, <clears throat> I've pretty soon realised that there was a kind of a Megan paradox. That is to say, she had been successful in her own right as a woman. She'd spoken at the UN. Um, she she had her own uh, uh, website, the TIG. Um, she'd uh, made a, a, a probably the last breath almost because she was in her early thirties, a, a, a successful career in acting. Um, so she was her own, very much her own woman, and and I think that women around the world responded to that, uh, and I think that hence the massive disappointment that she and her husband, Prince Harry, have decided to uh, leave the royal family. But the paradox is, in, in many respects, the fact that you know she'd made her own way in the world, but she had to give all that up in order to marry a man, a man who was who had his position by birth, by dint of birth, uh, not by uh, enterprise, hard work and initiative. The more you found out about it, did you like her more or like her less? Or just come to as, as, I, as I looked into it, I, I thought she was a pretty positive addition to the royal family. I, I thought that she was, you know, she was was uh, um, someone who would really yank it forward um, a few decades, and um, and I think a lot of people felt the same way. So where did it all go wrong? I mean, who who how do you apportion blame? Well, I think it's, that's an interesting question. I think that it all went wrong because of the other person. It had not yet didn't have an awful lot to do with Meghan, and just as the abdication the abdication didn't have an awful lot to do with Wallace Simpson, but they were both blamed for it, and the. Uh, Harry and Meghan's departure from the royal family was, by and large, his uh, Harry's uh, own doing because of his relationship with his father, but notably his brother, and a general dislike of being within uh, the constraints of the firm. And um, we see the same, uh, and yet when they leave, the, the vitriol is poured on on. Uh, uh, Megan, it's exactly the same with Wallace. That when uh, Edward VIII, later Duke of Windsor, um, abdicated the throne, the the hate mail was directed at Wallace, not at the the ex king. And um, it, 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 it's it's an interesting parallel, really. That it's the women who who are seen to be the ones who have the power when they don't, and they the seem to be the ones who make the decisions when they don't. Because and I, mean, I found people... that the Wallace, the, 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 and, and you know very well, Andrew, that the, the, the whole Wallace thing was, was, you know, somebody else was making a decision about her life without any discussion with, that, with the other person. So... The king was making a decision to abdicate without any discussion at all with Wallace, and she, as you know, uh, was you know, looking for a slow boat to China, to when where she was in the south of France. So, I mean, in some ways, the royal household haven't really learned any lessons from from since Wallace. Um, 
I mean, going back to the question of where it went wrong and who's to blame, I mean, as you say, it's Harry, but could you also apportion some blame to the royal household? Because they, in some ways, didn't make them feel involved. I mean, they would argue they did, and they they made every effort to include her. Um, and she had a completely different agenda. I'm talking about Meghan here, yeah, who seems to be more active than, than Wallace in terms of what was happening. I, th- I think that the issue for Meghan is that she didn't have a, a genuine clue about what was expected of her, even though the Queen had taken it upon herself to um, uh, ask one of her senior courtiers, advisors, foreign office diplomats to to speak to her. So that, for example, when the whole business of curtsying to the Queen, she thought it was like a pantomime show that you did it once um, in, in public, but in private you never did it. Well, of course, a member of the royal family will tell you that you curtsy to the Queen or the or Princess of Wales, uh, as is now, uh, and um, and that's the, the 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 format behind it. And I think that Meghan just didn't give it the 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 thought uh, that was required. Uh, that you know she's a modern woman who had her own uh, agenda, and it, uh, it, it really. Uh, didn't match that of the royal family. And you say, should the courtiers have have, uh, done more? Maybe they should, but also I think Prince Harry should have done more. I mean, he's uh, as as we've noted now, he is a great one for blaming everybody else but himself. But, you know, he he didn't take the time to get to know his new father-in-law, Tom Markle, didn't get the time to... Uh, fly over to California to ask for um, uh, his uh, daughter's hand in marriage. So th- there's, I think, when blame is being apportioned, the fair slab of it goes onto Harry's plate. Do you think she maybe did bully her staff at all? I mean, we talked to Valentine Lowe recently about this, and he's obviously closely in touch with the so-called Sussex Survivors Club. Do you put much credence <laughs> into that? Well, it's, it, I found it. I, I found it funny, really, that. That Diana, in the first few months of uh, once the honeymoon period was over with the media, she was called by Nigel Dempster a fiend and a monster. She was criticised by Tina Brown as the mouse that roared. So, um, it's it's the it, again it's the same pattern emerges, um, and it may well be true that Meghan was you know she was. She was pretty demanding of herself when she worked on the TIG. She'd be up at four in the morning uh, working out lines and contacting the, the, the couple of people that worked for her. So she was a fairly demanding boss. Um, uh, all that all that to be said, um, it's, it's a different way of life uh, working for the royal family. And what does the future lie for the two of them now, do you think? I mean, they seem to be... Um, trying to develop a sort of an alternative sort of strategy. Well, I mean, you just have to think of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. I mean, it's this, ex- exactly the same scenario that they, that the, the Duke of Windsor in 1936, everybody was hanging on every word he said. By 1957, um, Tommy Lascelles called him a hearth rug bore because he went on about the same thing, and it, in a way. The caravan moves on, will move on uh, from 
Meghan and Harry all too quickly. Um, and it, the, the focus will be on Archie, the focus will be on Lilibet and on uh, the, the, the future uh, king, uh, Prince George. So they've got, the, they've got a few more years to spend in the sun uh, and then thereafter they will become uh, secondary characters. But how are they going to afford their lifestyle? I mean, you know, they have to produce well, they have, Yeah, they, they have to produce. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, secure, the, the, their security detail is estimated to cost $3 million a year. Um, the deal they got, you see, they were very fortunate. They basically got under the wire with Netflix and Spotify before these two media giants realised that it, it it wasn't value to sign up every uh, celebrity under the sun and expect them to produce something. Um, uh, and at the moment, they are, as we use, as the rock and rollers used to call it, it's a difficult second album, um, <laughs> or um, in the in the sense that they've they've you know they've done the story about themselves, their love story for um, Netflix. That was a great success. He's produced his book, uh, Spare, which has been um, an international bestseller. Not sold as many as Dinah Her True Story, but... We, um, <laughs> <laughs> Who has? Who has, Andrew? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 so, um, yeah, I mean, they've got to produce a source of income. So... That they're following uh, the template set by uh, the Obamas. That they're using their contacts book to to basically bring people in, but it depends on how good a journalist uh, Megan is, uh, and by the 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 standards of uh, of revelation, her her. Uh, Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Archetypes um, podcast weren't particularly successful or, or revelatory. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, they've, they've got a mortgage on their house in Montecito. Um, and you know, th- this is 
a critical time for them to earn some dough because um, their lifestyle is not cheap. But all that to be said, California is full of billionaires, chock-a-block with multimillionaires, billionaires who love nothing more than to to fate um, of um, Meghan and Harry uh, at cocktail parties and, and so on. So, you know, back to the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, they they did the rounds of of uh, uh, the the east coast of america south of france and they made a handsome living out of it i mean you said right at the beginning when we started that you like royal women that they're more interesting why is that i mean a lot of them are the outsiders who've come in and in some ways shape the the monarchy um what is it that about them um that makes them of interest to you well, for the for the answers in the question, they are they see themselves or they are outsiders, and they do have a dramatic impact on the royal family. Diana, as the Queen herself said, changed the royal family, um, changed the way that they behave in in public and going forwards. Um, Meghan, uh, in the brief time that she was there, had a made a an impact and that could have had a, a more considerable impact if she decided to stay on. Um, obviously with Wallace, we we have the abdication and who knows what the history of Britain would have been if uh, Wallace had not been around. I mean, as, as you've written yourself, Andrew, I mean, you know, Edward VIII as king uh, was uh, uh, f- f- way too friendly with the, with the Nazis. Yeah, and the Queen would only have come to the throne in 1972. So that would be a very different story. Because, I mean, you've just done a biography of the Queen. I mean, in fact, you've done several books on the Queen. The Queen the Queen and her sister, yeah. And um, that steadiness, I think, has helped to preserve the monarchy. The, the fact that the, the Queen has or did sail through numerous conflicts and crises, started by her sister, um, the group captain Peter Townsend, then of course the first divorce since uh, Henry VIII, um, and then of course the the, the 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 tragic marriage of Charles and Diana. I mean, is it difficult to research these royal biographies if you're in the states? I mean, you're no longer quite so connected to the to the courtiers, which presumably was a source when you were a journalist. Well, <laughs> the irony is. That the mega, as I mentioned earlier, the Megan book was was very much low hanging fruit because I live literally where she grew up and where people knew her, had pictures of her, and had anecdotes. So that book virtually wrote itself. Um, I spend enough time in in Britain to be able to uh, concertina uh, a series of interviews with with people in the UK when when I'm over in London. So uh, and that's ex- and. Combine it also, as you know, with with visits to uh, national archives, um, Churchill Centre, and so on. Now, and, people and talk you... about the Harry book as being a dramatic attack on his brother, and the Netflix series as being unprecedented. I would say none of these things comes close to Diana, her true story. I mean, nothing that we've seen from Harry and Meghan, I don't even compare to a future Queen of England effectively briefing a, a biographer, your good self with the most spectacularly surprising and shocking stories, um, which, of course, she sort of half-denied telling you and then had to admit that she had. Um, 
Those must have been remarkable days to be at the centre of that maelstrom. But in the years that have passed, do you have you found out more about Diana to make you think that some of the things she told you were perhaps not the truth or, or an exaggeration? Or do, do you stand by everything in that book today? No, I, I, I stand by the book obviously by the contents of the book, because it, it was what it said on the tin, her true story. It wasn't the true story. And I'll remind you um, of the fact that back in 1991, when we were deciding on the jacket cover and so on for the book, Dinah wanted it to be called Dinah the True Story. And we had to argue very hard that it wasn't that it wasn't a, a, a comprehensive... I never knew that. It was so interesting. And so there are lurking in the in the archives at my publishers, Michael O'Mara Books in, in London, some um, uh, uh, covers saying Dinah, the true story, uh, which, as I say, we, we convinced her against going down that road. But, yeah, I mean, things have come out uh, which surprised me. So, for example, her relationship with the art dealer, Oliver Hall, um, married art dealer, uh, was starting during the time that she was also talking to me about her failing marriage. So that came as a, as a, as a surprise. I mean, I do find, for example, that the, the Bashir interview, the panorama, the famous panorama interview merely echoed what she said to me in terms of, uh, her, her doubts about Charles's fitness to be king, um, her, her wish to be a, a queen of hearts but the phrase making um you know three of us in this marriage queen of hearts uh was 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 uh, uh better for panorama better is the wrong word but more striking than it was than what she said to me for for Diana, her true story so she'd practice some of these phrases on you first well i think that towards the end she had a bit of a shtick that she would come, that she would invite various editors in for lunch, and she, you know people like Max Hastings and so on, and you know win them over with some kind of the same the same complaints and the same stories, and um, uh, and I think that the freshness came in her unguarded comments to me back a few years before because she did it, it things that she was talking about she'd never been asked about so it was there was a, a a freshness about her responses that isn't quite there in the panorama interview and did you keep some stuff back just because of sensitivity for the children or um or did everything she tell you you used the the only thing we we kept back was um, she altered that when she threw herself down the stairs at Sandringham, um, that it was the Queen Mother who came out to help her. Apparently, it turns out it was the Queen and she didn't want to get um, uh, the Queen involved in this particular story. Um, so that was one thing. And another was the fact that her, she remembered quite vividly her father hitting um, his, her mother. Francis Shan kid in a, in a family row, um, and that was left out. But we, it was subsequently put in um, in, in the uh, revised edition. I mean, you talk about going to the National Archives. I mean, one of my concerns is that the material isn't being put in the National Archives or being available to to biographers. I mean, is that a problem that that you've encountered or that you're worried about? Well, 
I couldn't agree with you more, Andrew. I mean, the, we have two major biographies about to be commissioned, one on Prince Philip and one on the Majesty of the Queen. Uh, who will be chosen? Don't know. Who's going through the through the archives? Well, it, apparently it's, it's, it's the Queen's uh, foot, Paul Whitebrook. Tall Paul. You're joking. Uh, and he's an expert historian. It, it, it does concern me enormously, and um, uh, that that um, you know, are they going to be burning the letters like Princess Margaret did with the Queen Mother's correspondence, like the Spencer family did, like uh, Sarah and uh, McCorkadale and and um, uh, Francis Shankid did with with Diana's correspondence. They even burnt the ink jotters that she had. So. This is this is always the problem, as you know full well, that the British royal family, and quite frankly, for that matter, all the, the German royal families. I mean, they've even been they've been uh, far more um, ruthless in scouring the skeletons in their own cupboards um, because because of their Nazi pasts um, uh, in in Britain. Uh, George the Sixth was very quick, as you know yourself, to send Owen Mooreshead, the librarian at Windsor, and a certain Anthony Blunt, Soviet spy, and and um, uh, in charge of the, the the King's pictures, to Germany to pick up letters uh, relating to the Duke of Windsor's relationship with with Hitler and the, the Nazis. So, you know, there's there's an awful lot that um, could be disguised, camouflaged, burnt, uh, about the, especially in a reign as long as the Queen's. And I mean, so, do you... I mean, uh, but, but should it be left to the families? Well, obviously they would argue that it's it's our mother, uh, so and it's our property. So and it, and it's her, and the letters are her copyright. Um, so it, it's a it's a pretty seductive argument that they can. Uh, well, who's paying for the mother? Well, exactly, but these see they wear different hats. They wear the the, the privacy hat uh, when it's about shielding correspondence and memos and so on, and then they wear the the public hat when it's about cost. I mean, the suggestion is that, that, that there won't be an official biography for some time because it's clearly got embarrassing moments in it. Um, well, I, I I think that. The quicker the, the, the Queen biography is, is commissioned, the better, because the people who were her friends are all passing, all dying. I mean, wow. it's as simple as that. I mean, you know, um, she was, what, 96? Uh, so all, all her friends, I mean, many of her friends were dead in any case, but even so. Um, Do you fancy the job, Andrew? Think, think they might give you a shot? I think... Bill, that I would possibly be the last person on the planet to be given that job. <laughs> the two of oh, us. No, no, that's Andrew Lowney <laughs> would be the last person. The two on Andrews, that. yes. I think I'm behind you in the queue. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I mean, how do I you mean, feel I, about I, I, I've always thought it would be counterintuitive if they say, if they put an arm around my shoulder and say, Andrew, would you mind doing it? I mean, it would be the job of a lifetime. I mean, when you think about it, William Shawcross spent a number of years with his biography, official biography, of, which was the last one of the, of the Queen Mother, and that ran to over a 1,000 pages. Uh, that was a £4.5 doorstopper. 
Do you, so, do you support authorised books? This is the best way to control the narrative, to allow friends to talk openly, rather than just make the papers available and people have to, bit like you, find the people to talk to. I mean, it does, does seem a slightly odd thing to just say, well, you know, it's a bit like the Victorians, you know, we'll find some tame person to do the book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. I mean, it's it, it, I'm sure it's being debated now. I mean, who will be the, the chosen biographer? Uh, and uh, I'm sure King Charles will have a, a lot to say about that as a, a well-read man himself. Oh, please, um, God, not Dimbleby. Oh, but, I couldn't bear it. Not Dimbleby again. <laughs> That would be too much for anybody, anyone to bear. But, uh, I think, but I think just to, to go back to your point, I mean, should there be a an authorised biography? I mean, there's been dozens of unauthorised biographies of the Queen. Uh, so uh, an authorised biography would gives what is said weight and it gives... It gives the people concerned who are the, the remaining individuals who, who knew the Queen... Uh, license to be more uh, as open as they wish to be um and as you know i mean i've i've done interviews with with people who've said um the queen mother is a wonderful person but that's strictly off the record so <laughs> so, so i'm finding you, that yeah so so you so in a way you know you've got to go down that road i mean um Obviously, in in America, they have official biographers as well for presidents and and so on. And where do you think royal biography is going? I mean, do you think it's it's becoming taken more seriously? It's moved into the hands of historians from journalists. I mean, you know, I've always been a great admirer of your book on Wallace, which had an enormous amount of new material, and Christopher Wilson describes as the best book on Wallace, and it is, I think. Um, uh, I mean, do you think that there's now a new seriousness about royal biography that these things are not just the tittle tattle from from um, journalists, but but actually people are trying to get beyond that? I think that's a very good point. I think that that is absolutely the case, and certainly in my lifetime and my experience writing books, is that I've, I've come to them far more seriously. Than I did when I mentioned early on about Andrew the Playboy Prince. Um, so for, for for my part, I approach it a, a lot more seriously. And it and uh, the, the and I think that the other aspect is that um, there are several American authors who, in that um, tradition of American journalism, which is quite serious and quite fact driven. Uh, have written some people like Sally Bedell Smith. I'm thinking of specifically yeah. some yeah. excellent biographies from from the other side of the pond, as it were. And to go back to your point about you know finding the material, I'm sure you would agree that you find an awful lot of material, and that is what I find now in America yeah, at the Stanford uh, Hoover Institute, uh, um, uh, 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 Virginia Historical Association, uh, the um, uh, Boston, Boston Library. Yeah. I mean, I you mentioned the Wallace book, which I thoroughly enjoyed doing because I found an Aladdin's cave of information at in the Boston Public Library because a, a chap called Cleveland Amory, who was the former 
chosen by Oliver for the Duchess of Windsor, walked off the job because he, he couldn't stand her lying anymore. And he deposited his papers with Boston Public Library. And I, one cold January day, or a week rather, uh, spent a week going through the, 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 he'd left something like 162 boxes because he became an animal activist. And it was, you know, there were antlers heads and all bison feet and all kinds of stuff in these boxes. But I found all kinds of letters that had been written uh, by Wallace to some of her friends uh, and and it, it really gave a different vision of of, of Wallace Simpson and um, I'm very proud of that book. Yeah, um, no, I think it's 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 very very fresh. It also it also, it also combined what I would call old fashioned journalism. When I was doing the previous book, which was called Seventeen Carnations, about the Duke and Duchess of Windsor's links to Hitler and the cover up of of their their uh, papers and so on, um, I made friends with a, with a relative of one of um, uh, the Duke of Windsor's great friends, Herman Rogers. And she had all kinds of papers and information. And, and you know, I really got into it. And it was, uh, and, you know, she's still a friend now. So, you know, uh, and this is where I always find writing books is that somebody who's, an acquaintance will often become a friend whilst you're researching the book. Well, you're both very interested. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. I was lecturing on the Queen Mary the other day, uh, and I said, you know, we've not found anything to link Ribbentrop with Wallace, even though lots of people said they knew each other, nothing written. And the man came up to me at the end, he said, my grandfather was Ribbentrop's chauffeur, and he was always taking uh, Ribbentrop to see Wallace. Um now that's secondhand information, but it's that sort of oral testimony that sometimes is is there when the papers are missing. That's a very yeah, and I, I also find that when you bring when you book bring the book out and you're giving a talk as you've just done, somebody comes up to you at the end and said, "Oh, do you know about such and such?" Yeah. And, and you curse yourself because you wish you'd gone down that road. Well, yeah, no, get, keep giving talk. Talks are good. Yeah, exactly. We're and what are you doing next? Oh, I was going to say, we're pretty much near the end. Um, so love to know what you're doing next. I'd also love to know, we talked about all these women that you've, royal women that you studied, which is the one you liked the most? Well, it's got to be Diana. There's no, because that, it's a book that, you know, will be the first line of my obituary. Uh, so, you know, it, it was. A, not not a, when you write the book, book in many respects. It changed my life and um, and also helped me to write future books because when you ran, when I rang people up, they knew who I was, which was great. And the book I'm working on at the moment is provisionally entitled Winston and the Windsors. It's about Winston Churchill and his long relationship with the House of Windsor. And the argument that I put forward is that there have been lots of you know, private secretaries and advisors to kings and queens over the centuries, but very rarely is, in fact, he is unique in advising and um, uh, falling out with uh, a royal house, a royal dynasty. That sounds absolutely brilliant. We'll have you back to talk about that with a bit of luck. Yeah, that would be Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Thanks so much. I wish we'd gone longer. All the best to California. Thank you very much. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Speak to you on. 
Take care. Okay, speak Bye. To you Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.